I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with another episode recorded live from the Living Kitchen Studio. Alison Palevsky, interior designer and art consultant, spoke with me about the career reboot, the pivot. Who hasn't considered that, let alone done it? She started her career as a talent agent trainee for three years, no less, before realizing that that is not what she wanted to do with her life. Allison shares her experience working with and for Trip Hanish, Oliver Firth, Martin Lawrence Ballard, shares the experiences, shares what she learned, and how she sort of used that to guide her own career. This is, this is more than a coming into one's own in the industry. This is about a focus on what one truly wants to be, what one wants to become, and then going out and making it happen. This is about the reboot refocused energy and attention on what you really want to be, and then going out and getting it. This is Alison Polevsky. Convo by Design is presented by Snyder Diamond, our sponsor, known in Southern California for providing amazing service and world-class products, like those from Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove. Here you have a company that is laser-focused on helping homeowners be their very best in the kitchen with refrigeration that provides proper food preservation, ovens and ranges that provide precision in food preparation, and Cove dishwashers that can handle any mess. Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove appliances are stunning to look at, in too many sizes and styles to list here, but it's also what's on the inside. The tech inside these appliances has been tested crafted and worked to razor-sharp precision, allowing for exactly what your clients want, precise and predictable results in the kitchen. That's what you get with Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove, and you will find the full line of each at all three Southern California Snyder Diamond locations. You can also see the newly designed Living Kitchen in the Santa Monica and Pasadena showrooms. Hi. Hi. (laughs) How are you? Look at this, you're an absolute pro. (laughs) It's great because we've had a We've had a chance to talk on a couple of occasions now. Yes. And I was yeah. excited to have you on the podcast. When, when did you start with your career in design? When did you know? I started with another career. I worked for a talent agency. It was my first job out of college. I was an agent trainee. I spent about three years there, and I was unhappy. And I thought, if I have to go back to the drawing board after investing three years of my life, um, what do I want to do? Like, what inspires me? What am I passionate about? And I really loved design, and I knew that I was going to have to go back and take a low-level position with low pay and go to school. And I loved it. I loved design, so my passion was that. And I signed up at UCLA, and I started interviewing for a job, and I landed one. Let me back up a second. To becoming an agent is not easy. No. It's really hard. Yes. So you 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 land a a, a role, you find a, you get a spot. Yes. Did you know instantly or did it take you some time to figure out this is not for me? You know, I respect and I have so many clients that are now agents and work in the business and I respect them all so much because I know how grueling and how hard it is to actually make it. It is survival of the fittest, but it's also like the Wharton School of Business for the entertainment industry. Um, I went through 10 interviews of a panel of people to get my job in the mailroom uh, and then I was assigned to mentors 
And I spent six months in the mailroom, pushing a mail cart, delivering mail, talking to people. And you read everything that comes your way. You just, you grab a piece of paper, you have access to everything. So you're just learning and absorbing, but it's a great lesson in humility after you go through four years of undergrad and you think you're going to land this great, you know, corner desk job. And I was, you know, in sneakers pushing a, a mail cart, but, um, I, I just looked at the women at that time in the industry and I knew that I wanted more freedom in terms of having my own company and making my own schedule and I wanted to have children and I wanted to have a life and I wanted to be able to control that and I think in a larger corporation it's an incredible environment but I also knew that long term it probably wasn't going to suit what I ultimately wanted to do. Which was? Well, I wanted to be autonomous, but I also knew that my passion wasn't there. I could see with my friends that were and still are in the business that they had a different drive for it. They loved it in a different way, and I knew it wasn't mine. I can't remember the exact moment I knew it, but there was a time when I was just tired and I wasn't inspired anymore. And I think we all have had a moment in our life where we either want to switch careers these days or we are searching for the true passion. And I knew that it wasn't that but I loved design I loved architecture I loved art history I loved contemporary art and I thought if I'm going to go back and learn something I, I want to go do something that I really love and that I don't mind making you know minimum wage for or nothing as an intern well and what's interesting too is becoming a designer it's easy anyone can do it becoming an accomplished working designer is not easy to do like anything else there's, there's a challenge to it. Did you know that it was going to be as challenging as it is? It's been very interesting in terms of my roller coaster of a design career. It's, it's definitely on the high, but I started working for two designers who were partners at the time, and they, I worked there for about two and a half years, and they were almost in the process of breaking their partnership up. So... I worked with a wonderful designer named Oliver Firth, who was my contemporary at the time, and we worked together under these two designers, and we became great friends. And I remember he said to me, when everyone starts in the design, everyone likes modern. That's the go-to. It's the design 101, modern. And he was right. That was what I was immediately drawn to. He's like, as you go through this process, I think you're going to find that you draw and like love other inspirations from different time period and that's absolutely what happened the more I studied it the more I went to school the more I would get into the mid-century to Eileen Gray to contemporary artists that influence fabrics and design lines the William Morris wallpaper lines that I fell in love with things that I didn't think I would fall in love with I really fell in love with and then as far as making it I think you work for other people I worked for other people for quite a few years and I, I made mistakes but I made them under someone else's watch so that by the time I was on my own I didn't make the same mistakes now it's really different now it's a it's a different path we don't make those mistakes anymore occasionally but not very often I find that interesting too um, many in the business sort of forge their own path um, many will sort of you know fake it till you make it and start off and I, I am I am a huge fan of the mentorship that that takes place in in interiors and architecture i yes. think i think that when used it's amazing many don't use it uh, many just are in such a hurry to hang their own shingle it doesn't sound like that was you though no it was also a different time so it was not the age of 
social media and you couldn't instantaneously post a photo and have, you know, 100,000 followers and that just puts you on the map. Getting published was like a really big deal and it was a path. So it was strategic. Um, that's kind of a different part of my story and how I first got published. But the people that I work for, I don't mind saying, I worked for Martin Lawrence Bullard. I worked for Trip Hainish. And um, I really worked more with Martin at the time because Oliver kind of worked with Trip and I was Martin's person. So he took me everywhere. Uh, and I learned a lot by watching him. He was really, really good with the clients. He was friends with them, but he also did a great job at just like bringing in wonderful new business and that attracted a lot of attention. And to this day, we are still friends. I see him, I have a house in Palm Springs. He has a house in Palm Springs. We have cocktails together, um, but he was, a, he was a mentor of mine. And so was Trip. Trip was a wonderful mentor. Waldo was next door to us. And I was learning a lot from just watching them, seeing the vendors they used, how they made furniture. You kind of have to just be a sponge and suck up everything because you know that I, I knew at one point I was going to go and I went to work for one more designer after that and then I, and then I left and started. I was 26 when I started my own company. So I absolutely love that because I, both, both trip and Martin have, have been on the podcast and I, I've, I've just relished the time I spent with him and, and I love how much, you know, and Trip will tell you how much he learned from Waldo. Right. And um, I, I was, I remember at Legends this year listening to, um, to Bunny and they're, they're talking and she was talking about her time at um, Parrish Hadley. Mm, the and, greatest. Yeah. <laughs> and she was talking about working there and understanding the things that she got to learn the things that she liked and wanted to apply and she learned the things that she didn't she said sister parish was was very fond of conflict and chaos and that's not something that that bunny williams was 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 fond of and didn't want to didn't want to have that in her own firm and so when it was her turn to have her own firm she did it the way she wanted to and then when you have a miles red or someone who works under her they get to learn under her. They can take what they like, what they don't like. I just, it's, it's remarkable. It's a gift if you, can, if you can get it. At the same time, tell me the experience working with both Trip and uh, with Martin as far as how much work you're doing and how hard you're working. And I, I bring that up because I'm actually working on a panel right now for West Edge mm -hmm. this year. And it was a very similar situation. I was here... As a matter of fact, I was interviewing um, uh, Genevieve Truesdale, and she worked under both um, Timothy Corrigan and Michael Berman. And we're putting together a panel now because, to talk about that very experience and the things that she learned under, under their tutelage. And I'm curious, what was, what was it like under both Tripp and Martin, because I would imagine that their personalities are very vastly, different. vastly different. They're very different, and and you learn that. You quickly learn to handle the different personalities. Trip is very humble, very understated. He had really learned and come up through Waldo. Waldo was still next door to us in terms of our physical space, so we all were in this group of, um, it was like young designers. Nicole Gordon was next door with Waldo. We were all there, and so, there was a lot of times that we would go back and forth even like we would need a fabric they would need this um but trip trip was interesting to learn from because he was quiet so you had to kind of trail him and watch him and see what he was doing and he had such a different way with the client the client that responded to trip didn't always respond to martin because 
they were more overwhelmed by Martin. Um, and the one, and it worked. It worked really well because, you know, not every personality type is the same. And the clients that you know were suited, better suited for trip would gravitate toward him and that would kind of become his more his project even though they would do some of the design together and the ones that were always going to be with Martin probably still are today and have different types of personalities Martin worked a lot on a lot of the Hollywood celebrities at the time trip does that now too but um, what would I learn the most there is they actually gave me a chance to to draw and make things I remember I drew my first bed we were doing the arts and crafts style house for William H Macy and I got to draw the bed and then I actually got to go and see it being made physically and I would you know I was so nervous that I had messed up you know this this wasn't going to fit into this anyway it turned out great and I just remember that being like the very first thing that I got to put on a piece of paper and then physically see come to life and it was such a cool experience so what I what I I think I respected so much about them and what I am grateful for is that they let me actually do something I didn't push paper I did a lot of mailroom pushing paper (laughs) prior to that so uh, I was happy not to push paper and to go and be on site and see the way that they handled when problems come up how do you deal with it sometimes things didn't fit in the door you know, uh, so you you really have to. It was a tremendous learning experience, and when I moved on, it was to a set designer. So it was a totally different new thing for me. Set decorator. Yes. Working for friends. Show <laughs> friends. Okay. Yes. So I love that, and I love that you got experience doing that because there's a difference between interior design and set decoration. Set decoration requires you to um, lose the ability to say no because you're not allowed to you don't get to say no it has to happen it's just a matter of how's it going to happen yes and what I will tell you is that I'm not a set decorator and that I very quickly was supposed to be on set helping and I started running his interior design company got it and so I it wasn't for me it's, it talk about people who work really hard. Who, who and was this? Who it was Greg Grande? Okay, and he was the set designer for Friends, and he Got created it. that whole the coffee house look was a really Central Park was a big deal yes. back then. Yeah, and uh, it was a really cool experience. But I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I he had side clients, and I basically started running that, and I did that for about a year before I ran into a, my a, a friend from undergrad who was working for Jeffrey Bill Huber in New York and we met at Jones remember Jones on third I think it's still there um and we ran into each other and we talked about what we were doing and she was visiting and within like an hour we decided we were starting our own firm and she was moving back to LA and and so that's kind of where it all began but very different experience so tell me about your journey now when you started the firm because the hardest part most people don't realize is when you start the firm it's great when you're working for other people because you're not out doing new business generation for the most part. Yeah. The business comes in because of the name. When you start your own company, new business generation has to start from scratch and that's the hardest part. How did you address that? Again, so I started a while, I started a long time ago. I had a partner at the time. We each took one client that we knew we had. So we had two projects and not a lot of money to start. We had like $20,000, a couple computers, and a tiny office off of Electric Avenue in Venice. And the two projects, as soon as we were done with them, 
everyone saw him. We never advertised. We never, it was all referrals. And I really quickly learned that if the client was happy and you did a good job and the look was good, it didn't matter. I didn't have to do anything. It was them having one cocktail party. And from there you would get the phone calls. And that very, like the second year that I was in business, I bought a house in Mexico and her and I renovated it together. And we got it published in Architectural Digest under page rents. I was like 28 at that point and I thought that that was going to change us and it changed the business. It put us on the map. We were able to get interviews because we were suddenly published and established but it didn't get us work and now it's different because I've been around a long time and social media is a big part of it. You get jobs off social media. You get so many opportunities and so all my clients are third, fourth houses that I've done for them, and then it's friends of theirs that see it. But I've never advertised. I never would. I know it's controversial. I've never done Instagram ads. But I do think that the client's happy. They take you with them as they grow. I don't think it's advertising is so necessary as much as marketing. The yeah, firm. branding, you marketing. S- you still have to market. Even if you don't advertise, you still have to have to manage it. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting, too. Because the magazines, you know, no no title lasts forever. No radio station lasts forever. No, no. no website. And that whole market has changed so much. It has. And so part of, part of the business of a interior designer now is someone who has to understand the brand development side of the business. Did your work at a talent agency help you understand personality and how to sort of, how to, how to market to that? Did that help you at all? I think that I've been fortunate enough to have a couple friends that are in that business and I seek advice a lot. I think understanding personality, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can teach someone to understand a personality. Like I walk into a meeting with a client and pretty quickly into the meeting, we know if, if it's like a date, we know if it's going to work. I'm pretty direct, pretty upfront and you know, I'll tell you to call my last five clients. So marketing and branding, my, my, what I do now, I kind of think it all meshes into one. My brand is my lifestyle. It's, I travel a lot. I collect contemporary art and I go to a lot of art fairs. That, what's on my Instagram is, is my brand. It's my design work. It's tidbits of my life, my travels. And I think that's, I think that's it. I think people get your look. Like so often you see people now with social media and they're like, oh, you know, how was that trip to um, Italy or how was the art fair? What was good there? Because they already know that you've done it. They just don't know the details. So you've broken the like, you've, you've scratched the surface, you've broken the eyes and it kind of just opens up the door. The other side of that is the business side. Yeah. The business. Which a lot of designers are not good at both. Right. It's infamous for that. No, it's true. Um, yeah. the, bu- the business side, I would I would say is the hardest. Yes. And, and I would say it's the hardest because right now we're in a really, we're in a weird spot because there are so many different business models. There are so many different ways mm-hmm. to bill your clients, to charge yes. your clients, to engage with your clients, that sometimes custom- clients are con- confused. Very confused. So so this is a whole other panel that we could talk about for hours and hours and hours. Um, so a majority of my clients, they're not necessarily always the actors. I have a few, but a lot of them are Hollywood. And they all have a business manager and they all have a lawyer. And I know immediately I get the contract back with the red lines and they're always the same. And the client's a little nervous. I have, I'm literally dealing with this with my brand new client of mine. 
And I said to her on Wednesday, I'm like, please just tell your attorney to call me because I've already answered the questions and we can go back and forth on an email 45 times, but I know what he's worried about. So just have him call me. And it is confusing because there's no, there's no line in the middle where I can sit down with four of my designer friends and we can say, how do you bill? And you'll have four different answers. For me, I finally think I figured out something that works and that's much more detailed and probably a little more boring for you, but um, no, you know, I'm fascinated. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually fascinated by this stuff. But it depends on the project a little bit. Is it a ground up? Is it something I'm coming into and fixing? Is it seven or eight rooms and then we move into a different phase? All of it makes such a difference. And I, I, I begin with a basic contract that outlines and protects me and protects them. And then it gets into the nitty gritty of what it is because you just don't know. I mean, if it's a ground up, it's pretty straightforward. It's a straight, probably pretty hefty design fee and drafting and you know billables and then it's a markup the markup part of it has changed the most because the consumer is so educated and they can buy direct and nobody's checking resale licenses and unless you're if once you're outside the pdc nobody cares anymore even in the pdc even in the pdc they're probably still the most that ask you for it and and they know you i mean those relationships i've had forever and they know the people that have been around but but that's the part you know everybody everybody's a designer right so everybody's got a resale and everybody can buy it for less but what they can't do is put it all together and they know that and that's why they come to you that's the point at which they go i pick up half of my clients who've purchased a house are in construction and go oh my god i don't know what i've done I thought I could do it. I need color consultation. I don't know what to use here. And that's the point they see it and they realize the value of it. And you're not really paying that much more than if you were like buying retail. You're paying 10, 15% over that when you work with a designer. Because we're buying for less and we're marking it up and it ends up about 10% over what they would pay if they were paying retail. Does it ever surprise you? It doesn't seem to matter how famous, how wealthy, how educated they're still going to price check you well the way to avoid that is to just offer backup which we do you can request it It has to be in your contract but if you offer backup we charge you more because it's so much more work to send every invoice but yeah i mean and and they'll also go online and, and absolutely google whatever the product is they'll find it on first dibs and as long as your contract reads that you charge whatever markup, I've watched other designers get in trouble with this. We don't do it. That's why I have repeat clients. You have to be straightforward with the billing. If you're not, you'll never have another client again. No, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, the, the other question on the other side of that is, have you had issues with tariffs? You mean when I'm doing projects in other countries? No. Or bringing I, things in? No, like steel I mean, on, yeah, specifically um, how, pri how pricing uh, is mean, changing so quickly. Like you'll get it, you'll well, get it. steel. Yeah. It's, yes, and I mean, I've we've done projects in Mexico, so I've dealt, when you say tariffs, I'm thinking like we've exported out and paid the 17% and there are things, I have a full education in what linens are more than certain pieces of furniture. But um, I think right now, you know, I have a client who owns a big, company in in bedding and it, it's all steel and I've I hear you know you through osmosis but I haven't had a big problem with it's price increases in lighting where you'll quote someone and they'll come back and say well everything's gone up so now it's 10% more I think I think we're seeing more and more of that but I haven't had a big problem with it because most clients are not super upset about 10% they're upset about a huge increase but 
it also depends whether they're blue or red and how they feel about everything that's happening. It, so it's true. It's true. But whether you're blue or red, take that away. It's whether you're green and ten percent. You're right. I mean, post, people won't balk at ten percent. But when the ten percent is, then you waited a little too long, and now the ten is twenty or twenty-five right. or thirty. That happens. It does. It happens when you're doing a ground up, particularly. Yeah. And if you've done it a while, you put it in the proposal. So at the end of the proposal, it says that it's subject to price increases and that if it's within an, over six months, it's a very high likelihood that there is going to be a price increase. Because almost every company, at least annually, does price uh, price increases, hardware and lighting in particular. Not as much with like fabric and some of those other products, but a lot of the lighting and hardware. Do you manage engagement in your contracts? Do you tell your clients, don't text me on the weekends because I'm not going to respond. Don't call me on the weekends because I'm not going to respond. Do you do you have that worked in? This is hard because... It is, right? <laughs> so what happens ultimately, I think this is probably true with every designer, is they start off as clients and they very quickly integrate themselves into your lives in a good way. I entertain a lot. I host a lot. and And I would say there's four or five clients at every one of those events because they do become close. You're in their life, you're in their closet, you're in their home, you know the kids. So they trust you and you become friends. So it's hard to say that you, um, it's hard to say no when someone that maybe you've seen on Thursday knows that you're in town and how do you not answer the text? I don't answer a text that comes in after 10 o'clock at night unless it's an emergency. But it's a hard balance to pull off because, you know, it's hard. You say you say no to a friend and then Monday morning they're like, well, you were here. I just had a little question. But I think they're respectful too, with the exception of maybe one or two. <laughs> Sorry, but and it's funny because, who will be nameless? <laughs> but we know who they are. Yeah. And it's funny too because the, the one or two are responsible for, you know, 70 or 80% of the annoying texts or calls that you'll get at, during the weekend or at night. I, I don't know. You know, I would say that the one or two that I have that do that are also the hardest workers. So I'm, I sort of give it a pass because I know that one or two of them are my developer clients and they're up till three in the morning at their computer sending those emails and they're beating themselves up as much and working as hard. And as long as they're not doing it in an abusive, negative way, I don't really mind it. I, I, I don't want to be on the defensive at 10 o'clock at night. Nobody wants to be on the defensive, but I, I kind of let it go unless it's abusive. And I've eliminated the abusive clients. I'm too old. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. So backing up a little bit, some, some, some guidance you got from Oliver was that, you know, modern is, is what is kind of like the entry level that's your entry. That's your entry level choice. What everybody likes. The, the entry level aesthetic, mm -hmm. right? I um, like that. Is how has that changed for you? A lot. I used to just look through the magazines, and in the beginning, it was a lot more of the contemporary ones. It was dwell interiors, um, and now the first thing I look at when I go to a client's and I see the house, it's the architecture. It's the bones of the house. What are we going to do here that pays homage to the architecture? Because sometimes the client goes, I bought a Spanish house, but I hate Spanish. How are we going to make this modern? And I'm honest. And I say, well, we're not. 
but we're going to incorporate modern and we're going to do a version that's Spanish modern or that pays homage to what was here. You can't come into like a 1920s Spanish and completely take out everything Spanish. I just won't do it. And somebody else will. So they should hire that person, but not me. So the first thing I look at is the bones, the architecture. And then we go, okay, what are we like? What are we responding to? And we start to put together a look based on I also try to base it a bit on the client who is this person I don't want to walk away unlike a lot of designers I don't want to walk away and have it look just like me I want it to, I want to be their curator more and I want to be the designer but I want someone that walks into their house to see elements of them what do they own do they love books? Do they travel? What do they do for a living? How do we bring some of that into their home? So my style is definitely lean, streamlined, modern, clean. But if I, I've done all kinds of, of different styles. It always feels contemporary, but it respects the architecture. And their art collection, if they have one, that's a big part of it. Art, art's important for you. So important. So important. Lighting and art. Lighting is the jewelry and the art is what really brings it to life. Because I don't use a lot of color in my design. I use color in accent pieces, but I like to be able to remove it. Because even in my own house, I take all the color out all the time and I'll, I'll change pillows, I'll change accessories. So the art, if someone's got an incredible art collection, I mean, you can design a room around a great piece. And if you know that in advance, it's a pr you're pretty lucky to have that client. So if you don't like, it's not that you don't like to use a lot of color. It's just that you don't. I'm curious. So your your go to your your go to is do you use a is your neutral a white? Is your neutral an earth tone? Is it a gray? Which contrast? Yeah. Which direction I do you love, go? I love I love the darks and lights. That's usually what I want to do. Sometimes the client doesn't want that. So we lean neutral but more gray. I hate beige. I never use beige. It's not even a color for me. Um, but grays, blacks, whites. We start there. And lots of textures. So it's not all very sterile at all. None of my interiors, I feel, are. They're very warm. They're eclectic. But uh, we start there. And then we weave in pattern with art accessories, photographs. I mean, a photograph, I'm designing a dining room around a Miles Aldridge photograph that my client fell in love with, and it doesn't work in her current house, but she's building a house, and she's like, all I want is this Miles Aldridge in my dining room. Whatever wallpaper we pick, it has to work with. So sometimes it really is about that, and it's about, but if you have that, you're a lucky person, because the art collection is what makes the house fantastic, publishable and livable in a way that people want to be there. If you walk into, um, we've all walked into a great house where a person's hired a designer to create a look and it's very modern, it's very clean. You cannot find absolutely nothing wrong with it, but you can't find anything right with it either. It doesn't feel like someone lives there because it doesn't reflect their taste in art and who they are. How important is publication to you? Now? Yeah. It's so different. I remember being at a LACMA event and Tim Street Porter had shot a lot of um, great interiors for Martin I knew him from going to the shoots but I sought him out and I chatted him up and I said I have a project I really want you to shoot and back then it was like if he agreed to shoot it was an honor to get him to shoot it and he shot this project and we were able to publish it and publishing put you on the map like you were suddenly relevant and you could you could get yourself in the door in today's world, I think there's a lot of young designers have geniusly used Instagram to 
put themselves on the map and, and kind of surpass what kind of it's the same in the music industry all the people who came up on youtube and were discovered discovered on youtube i have no problem with that I, I have a great amount of respect for it but it's totally a different way to come up and it's just as legit as what you know architectural digest and al decor in a way it's a much broader audience um but there is still something about and i think every designer wants to be in the coveted you know you you're in AD, you're in El Decor. There's still a national circulation and a prestige to that. And it, it takes a lot. They're, it, they're, the people and the stories that are in there, they've been vetted. It takes six months to a year to photograph, to have a writer assigned to it. I still have a lot of respect for what it takes to put that together. So I still love print. I do pull tons from digital, but I love print and I respect it still. How many titles do you think you read on a monthly basis? I subscribe to about seven or eight publications, and I read them. I may read them on an airplane, or um, you know, when I get a few down hours. But I'll just read them all, and then I still and I still do the thing. I tag the corners. I'll photograph them now. Like I just you take a screenshot of them, right? I mean, that's how you reference everything. I don't have a library in my office anymore, other than fabric when I pull it. But we don't have that. It's gone. Everything's it, digital. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's wonderful because we sit in a room with a client and we project, we, we mirror our screen onto a big monitor and one of us has a computer that's showing the options and the other one has a, a computer that's showing what they're liking and we keep adding what they're liking to the board and by the end of it we've got a pretty good idea of the wallpaper and the fabric and it's all up on a big screen and they're able to see it in a really different way. How many projects do you try to do a At year? Once. <laughs> a year. Depends, because I'm I. It's hard to say no. I keep saying I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say no. But if it's a good project and you like the person, it's easier to add another person to your office and take the great project than to pass. I pass because of personality, and I don't think we'll work together. And I can do that now because I've done enough where I know that it's not gonna work. But we run about seven or eight projects at a time. So a year, I don't know, it's 15, 20. I don't photograph them all because some of them are not full ground ups. And then other ones, you're with them for three years. Ground ups, two or three years. Do, but you have a magic number, seven or eight. That's the number of projects you try to keep when going. When it gets to be more than seven or eight, I start to, my head starts to, to be in so many different places. I start to pull for this and that and you're, you're managing so many looks. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the experience as much. So I don't know that I'm ever going to have a ginormous office of people. Do you have young designers working for you? Yes. Millennials? I do. <laughs> um, I've had good and bad experiences, but I had a fantastic girl um, who, yes, I do. And, and I love seeing the way they approach design because it's so different than how I was taught. Their skill set is different. It's much more digital and computer driven. Uh, but I love that. And I think they have a lot to offer. I like having both I've had one girl who's worked for me for 12 years. And that's great too, because she knows me and she can mirror my style and she's amazing. But it's nice to have fresh points of view and to see it the way that they see it. You need that or you won't stay relevant. Relevance is an important term. Yes. Um, what do you see happening in design and architecture right now that you really like? And I guess it has to be quality. You know, you do so much international work. I, I think I think you probably have to separate that between Southern California versus. It, ha it has to be geographically, I guess. 
Yeah, it's, it's different depending on where you're working. But I think what I'm interested in is actually design, architecture, and art and the way the three of those come together. Because in my world, I actually do advise clients, like I help them often find the art because I've been traveling. I'm not an art consultant. I don't want to be an art consultant. But I'll see things and then I'll bring the artist to them. We may commission things. So I think I've always been fascinated by decorative objects. And what I think fascinates me about that at the moment is the crossover between fine art and decorative objects. So, so many things that were considered to be only in the decorative arts department are now crossing into fine arts. Like the Haas brothers are a perfect example. They're represented at one gallery for decorative arts objects and another for fine art objects. There's so many, so many times when a curator will, from fine art and decorative art, will come and ask a gallery for the same object because there's so much crossover. So I think that as far as design, art, and architecture and what's happening in those fields, you'll see decorative arts fairs now. Um, you'll see things that focus more on objects that we use and are functional objects, but are really made in a way that's so, the, the fabrication and the craftsmanship is so amazing and we'll pay for it. And that fascinates me. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's sort of my take on what I find the most interesting in those three right now. Yeah, no, it does because the design and architecture space is changing rapidly mm -hmm. right now. I mean, we've re there are some amazing things going on. Like I was having a conversation last week, bathrooms four years ago. It was like the thing. It was like, oh, we're going to make them spa-like now. And then all of this right. technology. The LED lights in the ceiling. Everything. All, you know, vertical showers or horizontal showers, you know, the lighting. Everything got to be more spa-like where it's, you know, all seven, all, all five senses are being, are being um, catered to. This, kitchens right now seem to be a thing where it's, it's about drawers and it's about backsplashes and it's about making things... It's about changing the dynamic of how you use the space. Mm -hmm. And I see whole homes changing so rapidly. Technology is changing so quickly. Yeah. It's really interesting um, to see how people view home now. It's far more experiential than it used to be. Well, everything is far more experiential than it used to be right now. It's an age of experience. Um, I think that people are spending more time at home. I think we've had the great benefit of a good economy and people have put the money back in their home. And that also relates back to having the experience. And I have tons of clients that have either built from the ground up and created these incredible technology systems where you know they're in Hawaii and they can turn on the lights or they're coming back from LAX. And there is a fascination. I, I particularly think like men, the men are fascinated with the technology systems. I like them too, so it's not just a gender thing, but but I think if the wife gets excited about picking the kitchen appliances and the colors, a lot of times what brings the husband into the meeting and paying attention will sometimes be, well, how do we make this house an awesome experience for everybody? So does he have, I have a client who just built a, a crazy gym with, you know, like he had Laird Hamilton help him. The pool is like, you know, he has 10 guys over to do these workout classes. And that's what made him excited about the project. So I'm okay with that because we got to do the rest of it. And I think the, 
the idea of putting the money back in your home because you're spending more and more time there makes a lot of sense. Everybody is, you know, wants to have friends over. Instead of going out, they're having 15 friends over and they're getting the pizza oven and they have the giant screens and the this and and at least in Los Angeles. Not always the case in other projects I've worked on because they've been more like second homes or resort-like properties. But I think that, that that's related to the economy and, and people wanting to put money in something that they own and, and have equity in. Yeah, it's true. And that's, and that's why home is so important. I mean, for me, home's everything. It's my business. I constantly update my own home. It's a reflection of who you are. That's what, that's, that is how I design as well. It's a reflection of, of me bringing out the best part of my client and bringing in what I know to be good design. Do you have a favorite project? In terms of how it came out or in terms of the experience? I'm not going to qualify it. I have a couple, but I did one in Punta Mita that was very interesting because I spent about a week of every month between May and January there. So I got to experience the seasons and every time it was like a different drama or experience because of torrential rains and it was also an interesting project because ground ups can be a little easier. You have a blank slate and you don't have to fix anything and you're, you're working within a budget, but it's a different kind of scope and when you come into a project that is you've got to deal with what's there and make it great it's challenging it's a little bit like a puzzle so I had a lot of fun on that project because it we had to make the pieces of the puzzle work but there's also no code so we had some fun taking some liberties so that was probably one of my favorite ones to do I get that the freedom mm -hmm. is what you like best yeah and my client was pretty he was a developer he had developed part of that area the house was in and he wanted to have the modern house on the we couldn't change the bones of the house but he wanted a modern house he wanted a boutique hotel house and that was really fun because he gave us a lot of liberties and we did some cool collaborations for some of the art pieces we used a lot of authentic mexican objects designers we got to go on treasure hunts we sourced things in Mexico City and Guadalajara. So that was a really fun project because I also love to travel. So it wove my interests into one. I could go to Mexico a lot and call it work. <laughs> um, but but that, that was really fun. Um, and I've got a few in LA where, where I think I like the ones where it's like, oh my God, what am I going to do with this? This is terrible. Like, how do we fix this? So those, the ones where you're like, oh, you know, it's here. We've got a white box. It's, it's pretty good. We can change this. They're easier, and you know they're going to come out okay. It's the ones that don't always have great bones and need a lot of fixing that are the challenge for me. I get that, and I can also tell that you kind of like a challenge. I Definitely. Yeah. It would be so boring without that. Exactly. So each project, the client is the challenge, the house is the challenge, and the greatest part of this job is that it's never the same. No day is ever the same. I can never be like, I'm going to be in my office from 9 to noon. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know what job site you're going to be called to. And that is what keeps me interested in it. I don't think I could do many other things where it's constantly like that because I wasn't suited for the desk job. And maybe that was when I knew bringing it back to the beginning at ICM, like I sat at a desk for 12 hours of a day. That was not for me.
this is very different. Yeah, and I love that you wrapped it up with a bow. And we're right back to where we started. I love that. <laughs> this was great. Thank you for taking Thank the time. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So there you go. That is another episode of Convo by Design, recorded in the Living Kitchen studio, this with Allison Paleski. I really enjoyed this interview with Allison. I enjoyed the time, and I appreciate the time, because you know what? It's, it's not easy to take an hour or two out of a very busy day to, to come talk to me. And because of that, I am extremely grateful, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Allison. Uh, thank you, Snyder Diamond, for, uh, for providing the space at the Santa Monica showroom. Thank you, Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove for being a remarkable brand partner. And uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Because without you, there really is no convo by design. Um, I appreciate the emails. I appreciate uh, the downloads every week. I appreciate you coming out to events and saying hello. So keep listening. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, until next week, keep creating. Convo by Design is proud to be working with Vondam Furniture. Their design culture is the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vondam pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? Creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest. Vondam products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted modern durable molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique. They beg to be enjoyed. Have you seen them featured in our videos? Check out our YouTube channel and see this for yourself. You can also find them in their showrooms at the D&D Building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in Los Angeles, or online at vondam.com. Mm-hmm.